0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another podcast. I'm Christina Vogt, Associate Editor of the Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Today I'm joined by Dr. Bruce Wiley, who is a Professor of Health Policy Management at the City University of New York. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Lee.
1: Glad to be here, Christina.
0: Today we're going to be talking about the current state of affairs with the COVID-19 pandemic. So, Dr. Lee, could you discuss the current concerns brought about by COVID 19 and important actions that need to be taken within these next couple of weeks, especially among infectious disease specialists and other healthcare practitioners on the front lines of the COVID 19 pandemic?
1: Yes, so we're in a situation that our world has not faced for many, many decades. So, this is a completely new virus. It's a novel coronavirus that causes a, a newly named disease, COVID 19. And since it's a new virus, there's a lot that's not known about this virus. So as a scientific community, we have to rapidly do studies and try to better understand what the behavior and characteristics of this virus is. And the, the challenge is, since no one has actually been exposed to this virus and really developed any Im- immunity, it can spread very rapidly throughout the community. As clearly we've seen over the past couple of months, it's gone from an outbreak in a specific location to spreading throughout many parts of the world. As a result, it's been declared a pandemic. So the challenge here is this is a virus that causes a disease that has a higher mortality rate than seasonal flu. So we know that seasonal flu already kills many, many people around the world. The mortality rate for the skew coronavirus is multiple times higher than that. Current estimates are somewhere between 1% and 3.4%, but it's unclear where exactly it falls. So it's killing at a significantly higher rate than the flu. That's still not as high as SARS, which was around 10%, the SARS outbreak from 2000 to 2003. So right now we're worried about a rapidly spreading virus that has a mortality or a case fatality rate that's significantly higher than a very bad flu season. So that raises concerns around the world. So essentially, what do we do? Well, well, the biggest challenge right now is we don't have a vaccine and we don't have specific treatments. So this is another reason why it's very different from the flu and it's very different from many other infectious diseases that we're used to dealing with. So there's no way of protecting yourself via a vaccine. So what do we have left? What we have left are, number one, social distancing measures. And social distancing basically means keeping people physically separate from each other because we know the virus passes along like the flu virus. And again, I want to emphasize it's not the flu and we should not treat it like the flu. It's something completely different, but it does transmit through respiratory droplets. So that's through close contact or through coughing and sneezing or through touch where basically a surface gets contaminated or our hand or some other object gets contaminated and then you pass it along to your mouth, nose and eyes. So social distancing measures is one thing. Two is actively washing your hands thoroughly and frequently and then disinfecting surfaces. So those are things that our uh, healthcare practitioners and public health officials have been really pushing because that's the way we're going to try to slow the spread of this virus. The other concern is that if you take this virus and you have people getting sick from it and then in some cases requiring hospital care or even ventilators because some people can have pneumonia or or bad uh, pulmonary problems, even life-threatening pulmonary problems. Take those things and and put those cases on top of the other medical problems that are already going to the hospitals and the healthcare system. A big concern is that the healthcare system will be over flooded so that we don't have enough capacity to handle all those patients. And uh, in certain certain days, that might mean the collapse of certain hospitals or healthcare systems. So people are very worried about that. So that's one of the reasons why we need to do social distancing measures to try to reduce the number of cases each day and flatten the curve. So you've probably heard the term flatten the curve, which basically means flatten the curve that tracks the number of cases per day. There's an epidemic curve that shoots up and peaks and then comes down. And we want to make sure that that curve Stays as flat as possible.
0: Where do rates of COVID-19 cases in the United States stand now in comparison to countries like China, Italy, South Korea, Iran, and more? And what can the US learn from these countries as practitioners here seek to flatten the
1: curve? So if we look at what happened, the outbreak was first noticed in the city of Wuhan in China. And that occurred in late 2019, in December 2019, there were reports of this mysterious pneumonia that people didn't know what was causing it back then. And then you started seeing cases pick up really late December and early January. So that's when the virus was starting to spread in Wuhan, China, and ultimately uh, throughout different parts of China. So then Italy and South Korea and Iran followed later. So... We're in a situation in the United States where the virus probably, and we're not sure completely, was introduced into the United States somewhere you know, over the past month or so. And our current curve looks like we're about a week and a half or two weeks behind Italy. Now, the challenge is we don't know the exact number of cases because there isn't widespread testing occurring. So there's many cases that are occurring and we don't even realize that people are carrying the virus. So what we have to rely on is the slope of the curve. So if you look at the slope of the curve, and that's the number of cases per day and how much it's increasing from day to day, cases have been fairly slowly increasing. So the curve have been, has been fairly flat over the past few weeks, but it's really starting to pick up right now. And that's what an epidemic curve looks like. So you have a flat portion and then things really pick up and the slope goes very, very high, and eventually it peaks so it looks like we're in that portion where it's starting to pick up the rate is really starting to pick up so that's about a week and a half or two weeks behind italy and in terms of what we can learn from other countries is well first of all we can see what happened in terms of the spread and have a better understanding of how quickly this might spread and where it might spread so we can learn that from other countries and some other countries have shown ways to effectively alter the course of this epidemic. China instituted very aggressive social distancing measures, uh, so did Singapore and South Korea, and so they were very effective in changing the shape of the curve. If you draw the curve amongst all these different countries, you have Italy on one hand had a certain push-up in terms of cases, but then South Korea and Singapore didn't have as quick a rise. So their cases, Have remained more flat in terms of the curve. So we can learn from their aggressive social distancing measures, but we need to do that very quickly because we're at a very critical point right now. Because if we don't do that as soon as possible, we may miss our opportunity to really alter the shape of the curve.
0: What key takeaways do you hope to leave with infectious disease specialists and other healthcare practitioners on the COVID-19 pandemic?
1: There's a number of different things. So some of the Practices that we're trying to emphasize right now are practices that you should do all the time, regardless of whether there's a pandemic or not. So, one is very aggressive hand hygiene. Wash your hands frequently and thoroughly. And by thoroughly, I mean more than 20 seconds. So, you're lathering up with soap and water. And I want to emphasize that soap and water is always better than hand sanitizer. You can use hand sanitizer when you don't have soap and water, but soap and water are better because you generate more friction, the water helps wash things off of your hands, and you tend to wash your hands more thoroughly if you use soap and water. So you need to lather up your hands for at least 20 seconds, and people say, sing happy birthday twice, or recite the alphabet, or sing I will survive, or something. There's all kinds of things that you can do, but make sure you do that for more than 20 seconds, and do that frequently. And also, try to avoid touching your face with unwashed hands, And fingers because that is actually a primary way of transmitting the virus you know certainly it can transmit through coughing and sneezing and respiratory droplets but one of the primary ways is through touch Uh, another is disinfecting surfaces frequently uh, and thoroughly so any quote unquote high touch surfaces that are touched by many people should be cleaned very regularly and thoroughly this should occur all the time regardless of whether there's a pandemic or not because Rather, you have many different types of viruses ranging from the flu virus to parainfluenza viruses to other types of pathogens that are on surfaces and can be transmitted through touch. So these are things that you should do all the time. A second thing is to be aware of symptoms and understand how to manage and handle them. So what, what people are encouraging is if you have a fever, if you have a cough, if you have shortness of breath, Try to contact your doctor as soon as possible, or try to reach your local health facility or hospital, or there might be hotlines which you can contact, and you can talk through your symptoms, and they can tell you what to do. They may tell you to, to self-isolate, keep away from other people. But if you do have symptoms, make sure someone else is aware of them. You, know, you don't want to be in a situation where you have a fever or you don't feel well, but you don't tell anyone, and you basically inadvertently spread uh, the virus to other people. You know one of the big concerns is that people will still try to go to work uh, when they're sick, regardless of whether there's a pandemic or not. So when you have people going to work who are sick, they can you know then spread the virus or whatever they have to other people. So we definitely want to be in a situation where people are making other people aware that they don't feel well so that people can keep their distance and they can get proper instructions from people on what to do. Another major issue right now is how to handle it from the healthcare professional standpoint, because we do know that we're having a lot of potential shortages of healthcare resources. So there's news of different healthcare facilities running low or potentially running out of personal protective equipment, PPEs, uh, and there's concerns about shortages of ventilators. One of the key messages that public health officials have been trying to broadcast is for people not to use surgical masks because that doesn't help in terms of preventing infection from the coronavirus and even N95 masks won't help if you don't know how to actually use them. So you need to get properly fitted with an N95 mask and you have to put it on and take it off appropriately. Otherwise you actually may increase your risk of infection because if you, you know, touch your face or rub the outside the mask across your nose or mouth, you might actually quote-unquote auto-infect yourself. So it's very important to know how to practice good infection control. So certainly there are infectious disease specialists and infection control experts who understand these things, but now everyone really has to understand these things. So if you're a healthcare professional in any venue, you have to understand how to practice appropriate infection control. We do know that there's a number of people who are completely asymptomatic, even though they're infected with the virus. Uh, a couple of recent studies suggest that the asymptomatic rate for the COVID-19 causing coronavirus may be similar to that of the flu virus. One of the studies found that it's around 17%. That was a study of the data from the Princess Cruise line that was quarantined. So that means close to a fifth of people who are infected with this new coronavirus will never develop any type of symptoms. So you have a lot of silent carriers out there. So you basically have to treat everyone as if they may potentially be infected with new coronavirus. So that's very important. We also have to be careful in terms of health professionals. You have to strike the balance between you know, taking care of patients and making sure they feel like they're taking good care of but also being careful. You certainly don't want to be infected yourself because not only are you putting yourself at harm, but then you're putting all your patients at risk. Clearly explaining what you're trying to do, clearly trying to maintain enough distance, and taking all these precautions will be very important.
0: And lastly, what are some research endeavors going on right now to help combat the pandemic, such as new vaccine trials and new testing kits being developed?
1: So there are a number of different areas of research that are occurring right now, so I can divide them into different categories. So one category is trying to better understand this pathogen. There's been a lot of rapid analysis in terms of trying to figure out where this pathogen originally came from. So there's a lot of rumors and conspiracy theories out there, including some suggestions that maybe it was manufactured in a lab as a bioweapon. But the data and the Science is strongly suggesting against that. You know, there's evidence that this virus is very similar to the viruses that circulate in bats. So somehow the virus may have jumped from bats to humans. Just want to make it very, very clear to anyone who might have suspicions that, you know, all the scientific evidence suggests that this was a naturally evolved virus. Also, there have been attempts to better characterize how contagious this virus is, how many new people... Can a person who's infected then subsequently infect? Better understanding the incubation period and the duration of infectiousness. So all that is very important in terms of understanding how to manage patients and prevent further infection and and what type of public health measures should be in place. There's also research trying to figure out what are the different clinical sequelae what percentage of patients will end up having pneumonia, what percentage of patients will end up having severe cardiopulmonary collapse. That's one area of research. Second area of research is, as you mentioned, developing a new vaccine. Recently, just a few days ago, there was news that one of the vaccine candidates will be entering phase one clinical trials. We'll have to see how that vaccine candidate fares within the phase one clinical trials and whether it can then progress to phase two, et cetera. There are other vaccine candidates out there. Again, a big challenge is this virus has not been known for a while. So a lot of scientists have had to scramble very quickly to try to identify and develop new vaccine candidates. So it's going to take a while. So it's unlikely that a vaccine will be available within the year. It'll probably take longer than that, hopefully not too long, but it's hard to tell. It all depends on how the trials go. A third area is looking at other ways to potentially prevent infection. You know, there's word of using passive immunotherapy. That's basically taking antibodies from someone who's been infected with the virus and then using those antibodies and administering to other people to try to either protect them against infection or reduce the bad outcomes from an infection. Such approaches uh, have shown some promise in other areas, so we'll have to see if that can be effective in this case, especially in in light of the fact that we don't have a vaccine currently. Other areas of research uh, focus around developing different types of antiviral approaches, so that includes using medications that are already used for other types of Infectious diseases such as antivirals for the flu, antivirals against HIV. There's also talk about potentially looking at the effects of anti malarial medications. Of course, all of this research is in the early stages, so we'll have to see what happens as the data comes out. But people are trying to be creative in terms of using existing treatments and therapies to try to combat this virus. Also, there's a number of other types of medications that are being developed for either the virus itself or sequelae of the virus, like ARDS medications, and whether those can be effective against the clinical sequelae of the new coronavirus. Another area that you mentioned are testing kits. As we know, there's been a need to rapidly develop new testing kits to help identify who might have the virus. As in all cases, tests have their sensitivity and specificity, so they're not perfect. So there's always a need to develop better and better testing. And you also want to try to make these tests as rapid as possible and as inexpensive as possible. So many different areas of research. There's a lot of questions that still exist. There's a lot of ways to contribute. And hopefully, a lot of these efforts will bear fruit in the near future.
0: Thank you again for joining me today, Dr. Lee.
1: No problem. Happy to help.
0: For more podcasts like this, visit consultant360.com.